And so it is my uh, privilege also to uh, welcome our speaker for today, uh, our someone who constantly inspires us, someone who is feeling a little alone this week, but um, he's here with us today. And so let us welcome our spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Welcome. Beautiful day, huh? Dave Rochford had an orange shirt on and white khaki pants at the first service. said, man, you really know how to dress well. (laughs) Way to go, Dave. We'll have to call each other next time. Anyway, here we are on uh, Rapture Sunday. So... I woke up at 5 this morning and said, oh, man, this is great. I'm still here, but now I've got to figure out what I'm going to say because I, I didn't know. You know, I thought maybe why spend the time doing it if I'm going into that holding pattern. And here we are. In fact, people, I, uh, I mentioned at the first service that all of the um, people have been Twittering and Facebooking one another like there's no tomorrow about this rapture thing, and it's just been amazing. Sue's heard it twice. She's the only one that laughed at that one this time. But thank you, Sue. Anyway. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me. And uh, it's really a prayer. And then move into a, an affirmative prayer with me. If, and if you'd like to stand and do that, feel free. If not, please stay seated. In this very room There's quite enough love for all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear Spirit, one Spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. No, with me, one life, perfect life, God's life. I claim that life in the I am right here for myself. That life is my life. Standing in that unbroken connection, that awareness, this vibration of the Most High, what I know and affirm in this moment is that continues to amplify and inform and resource me in every good way. The signpost, the directions, the guidance, the nurturing, the resources, whatever is necessary is called forth here and now. The seeds are planted and I, I wait expectantly and joyfully and not compromising the present moment experience but knowing that all of it, all of it, all of it is God, all of it is good. And so I celebrate all of it, all the learning, all the loving, all the sharing, all the laughter, all the joy, the health, the vibrancy, the creativity, the opportunities that continue to reveal themselves in my life and in your life. I celebrate all of it knowing that, the, that something within this and something is always for us. I say yes to that. With that said, I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, knowing it is already complete in the mind of the one, and so it is. Blessings. Please, please be seated. Thanks for standing with me. Thank you, Brown. 
and Gord. That Gord is just the sweetest man. If you have never had a conversation with him, I highly recommend it. been using Deepak's book, Reinventing the Body, Resurrecting the Soul, for the last several weeks, and it's a wonderful book, and, I'm, I'm, and I just, it's a plethora of wonderful information and illustrations about what we teach as a community here. Deepak talks about, and today's discussion is about re-resurrecting the soul, and he, he mentions the, uh, four things that are really important to activating that, that process, and I think many of you have done many of these, if not all of these things, but I want to just remind us as we move forward um, how important they are. And number one, and I think it's why we're here, why we celebrate our teaching, why it's such an important piece for all of us, is he says, realizing that all of us are on a, a journey to higher consciousness and to embrace it. So all of us are on this journey, and it's, it's to continue to agree with the journey and embrace it. I am on a journey of, to higher consciousness, and I embrace it, I welcome it which is one of the first doorways that we walk through. It's one of the first openings that we, can, we, that we get to choose. Because if we decide, if we look at the, the, the... You know, if you look at this experience of the rapture, this whole idea, and I think the way it works out are as many, many versions of it. But the, I went online and there's a lot of interpretations. But one of the ideas is that the chosen ones will be taken to, into a holding pattern. That the dead that, the, the, the dead that worshipped or were followers of Jesus would then be... Uh, arise from the dead as well. And then there were people that would just sort of disappear. I called a number of my friends said, if you're planning on going, just sign, sign over your resources to me and I'll take good care of them. I tried to get a hold of uh, Harold Camping, who is the fellow that started all this. And I understand he's worth $72 million. I just thought, you know, 10% of that would go a long way within our community. We could do a lot of good. People need help up in Slave Lake. We could help out a lot. I wasn't able to reach him. But uh, I do know that he's sitting on $72 million so. Uh, I don't, it seems incongruent to me if we're checking out, you can't take it with you anyway, but maybe they have a place in the holding pattern for that. But our, so our journey, the way we can look at the rapture is, is our, our journey, the holding pattern or the, the, the shift is in consciousness. And at the, at the deeper levels of teaching, this is what's important. It's so easy to kind of look at, 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 at theological dogma and interpret it literally, and we, miss, we miss, miss the richness of it when we do that, and we limit our experience. So number one, realize that we're on a, I'm on a spiritual journey, higher consciousness, and, and embrace it. To expand my awareness through meditation, contemplation, and other means. Number three, to ask for guidance simply and sincerely and then wait for it to appear. And number four, to trust your finest instincts. Guidance doesn't come in the form of fear, premonition, omens, distrust, or self-importance. All of those things exist around us, and they do. The uncertainty around the rapture is an example of it. It's superstition, and it's fear. They cloud our view of true guidance, which is always a signpost to the next step of personal growth. So true guidance is what the, where the gold is. And it's so easy to get distracted. There's so many things out there that pull us out of that awareness. But these are so important. Number one, realize we're on this journey to higher consciousness and embrace it. This is my journey and I embrace it. I'm open to it. And part of that is to put down anything that restricts that, that, that conversation that goes on. To, <clears throat> to expand awareness through meditation, contemplation, and other means. To ask for guidance simply and sincerely and then wait for it to appear. And to trust your finest instincts. Because it doesn't come from fear. It doesn't come from premonition. It doesn't come from omens, distrust, or self-importance. 
They're around us. A signpost to the next step of personal growth is the true guidance. So those are the four. And Deepak says that he finds great emotional release when the soul becomes uh, when the when the soul becomes a practice of one's life. What we've done is many people, many people have disconnected from the soul, and the soul is the conduit. If you've ever had a transformer, you know when you take a you have a um, not not the toy transformer. I see Gabrielle over there laughing at me. I'm talking about the because I I don't they wouldn't even give me a transformer when I was a kid. They were worried I'd eat all the, the parts I think and have to take me to the emergency room. They didn't have them when I was a kid. But a transformer when you plug in something when you buy a game or you have you know I remember I had an old toy railroad that in our house with 11 kids every toy we got for Christmas lasted about 20 minutes till all the parts were gone. But I had to, and what it did, the, trans, the, the transformer would take the power from the outlet and it would transform it and reduce it down so that it could be useful in the application of the game. And you see it in many things. You'll have a, 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 something on the, the line going in and line going out, and it, it reduces the power. Les is here, he's an electrician. He'd be able to explain it a lot better than I can. But transformer, what it does is it makes the power usable. The soul makes the presence of God in our lives usable. It is the transformer in our lives. It reduces the frequency down. Because if it came on full force, we would just, we would just evaporate. There's just this, my understanding is, and you know, we see it throughout mythology, we see it throughout stories, we wouldn't be able to handle all of it. And so we have this, we need this filtering down of spirit in our lives. And that's what the soul does. So Deepak says, who am I and why am I here? Well, religion will tell us, traditional religion will say that you're a child of God and you're here to reflect God's glory. And that's a, nice, that's a nice idea. But then we have people coming along that take theology and say, hey, you know, we're all going, we're all going to go, the rapture's happening. Have you been good? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I've been good because I've been bad sometimes. I've been judgmental and selfish and oh, I don't know if I'm going or not on the, on the ride. All that stuff. So what turns out to be very sweet and kind can also become quite a, a, a source of stress or distress in our lives. And, 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 and a lot of people utilize it that and they tap into it that way. And it's a very, very limited way of interpreting the spiritual experience. Science will tell this, who I am and why am I here. Science is, is Deepak says, you're a complete lump of molecules and you're here to do whatever that clump of molecules, molecules dictates. Not very exciting. What are my molecules telling me? I don't think it works that way. So it's not one or the other. It's not, you know, it, it's, the, it's the mosaic of these ideas. Both answers, as Deepak said, have produced much trouble and misery, as much trouble and misery as they have alleviated. And I think that's true. I think that's true. What, what value do we have in the mythology that at some point in time, it, we abdicate responsibility when we buy into this idea that, okay, you know what, it's all over on such and such a date. What kind of mindset does that create for us? I, and, I, and I know that for, you know, everyone I talk to about it, they just kind of chuckled. But it really is, whether we're doing the work here or, or, or wherever we're doing the work, and the, the place we have to do the work is in this present moment experience. This is the only place. This is the eternal moment. And so it really is mining the depths of consciousness. And if we do happen to, as a collectively, decide that we're going to destroy this, we lose that momentum. We lose those possibilities in this moment. That would be sad. And I don't think that's going to happen because I think consciousness is just so potent and powerful and it's always seeking expression. And the, and the ideas, when they're necessary, appear. The ideas, when they're necessary, show up. There's always guidance available. This couple goes to a, 
the doctor, and they're both quite elderly, and he does a thorough examination. They're both in their late 90s, and he says, you know, you're both doing wonderful, fantastic for your age, but what I would recommend is you start writing down things, because I've noticed that both of you have a little bit of a challenge uh, remembering. And so they go home that evening, and they're sitting in the living room, and they're watching television, and he, the, the wife says to the husband, would you go get me a bowl of ice cream? And he says, sure, I can do that. And, he's, and she says, would you like me to write that down for you? And he says, no, I can remember ice cream. And she says, well, I like strawberries on the ice cream. And she says, uh, he says, okay, I'll get you ice cream with strawberries. She says, you want me to write that down? She says, no, I can remember that. She says, well, I'd, and I'd like whipped cream. And he, he says, fine, you'd like a bowl of ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. Yes, would you like me to write that down? No, I got it. So he goes off in the kitchen, and he comes back about a half hour later, and he's got bacon and eggs. And he hands her the plate of bacon and eggs, and she looks at it and says, where's my toast? <laughs> Deepak said that uh, these, these two arguments are these two discussions, science and religion. He said really the answer for us is instead to turn to a higher power Instead of turning to a higher power, turn to yourself. Instead of leaving your body behind, you take it on this spiritual journey. You can sit in a chair and reach a life-changing insight, or a great teacher can walk in the room to deliver it. One event takes place inside you, the other outside, but both are events that alter awareness. See, it doesn't matter where it comes from. It can come from out, it can come from within. Once you've reconnected with your soul, you aren't restricted to only a few levels of existence. They're all open, they all open up the same ever-expanding consciousness. Say, and that's why there's no, it's all informative. And at every level, there's guidance. At every level, there's guidance. The Tibetan monks he talks about in these chapters that I, I was studying. And the Tibetan monks practice a form of meditation that, that helps create compassion. And so they spend years and years and years developing this deep sense of compassion for everyone. The Dalai Lama's, the Dalai Lama's uh, mission statement is to be the presence of compassion on the planet. And that's what he teaches his monks. They don't even get into the idea of soul because it's, it's, it's not something that can be seen and touched and felt. They go right to compassion. They just want to, they want to apply something that's meaningful. And they know that that shifts and changes them. And they've been able to measure this with these monks that have done the work. Amazing stuff. They've also done, in, in, in conjunction with this story, Deepak talks about MR, MRIs that are performed, which is the MRI to measure the, uh, the brain wave activity, and it, where the brain lights up. And I know that a lot of you have seen those, those pictures. MRIs performed inside a New Mexico prison, prison, and it's the only test of its kind, tested for psychopathic tendencies. And what they found when they tested people with this predisposition to psychopathic tendencies is that the brain, there's certain parts of the brain that don't light up. There's a, there's a uh, deficiency. There's a distorted brain function. They possess, these people, the outstanding characteristic that these people possess is the, the, the least innate sympathy imaginable. They just don't connect with other people. And Deepak says they've tried through uh, therapy, they've tried through medication, and pretty much psychiatry has given up with trying to change that brain pattern for these per- particular people. Now, I think it is possible, because I think anything's possible, but they haven't been able to tap into the right modalities yet. But what he said beyond that example, what Deepak said, is we do know that the brain is malleable enough to embrace every moral state. 
and that every state of consciousness requires a shift in the brain. We can measure this now. When Dr. Ernest Holmes came along in 1929 and he wrote the textbook and he was teaching these things and lecturing, they didn't have any of this research. But isn't it interesting how his insight and his wisdom has held up over the years? To, and you can look at it and say, now we can, we can look at this and we can measure it in some capacity. So it's an exciting, wonderful time we live in. So Deepak says this, the soul carries the potential. The soul carries the potential. The mind carries the intention. And the brain produces the result. The soul carries the potential. That is that vast field. Dr. Ernest Holmes said that that field of, uh, that, uh, that field of genius, everything that has ever been created, that has been created and will be created, is in the mind of the infinite. And then we become the portal where it can show up. And so these practices, those four practices I gave you at the beginning, realize we're on a journey to higher consciousness and we embrace it. Expand our awareness through meditation, contemplation, and other means, whatever that is for you. If it's a walk in the river valley, if it's the walk to labyrinth, if it's mindfulness in some practice that you have, if it's playing a musical instrument, if it's being of service in some way, whatever it is that taps into that for you, Ask for guidance simply and sincerely and then wait for it to appear. And then trust your finest instincts. And although those things that aren't your finest instincts, I'm not going to mention again, but they, they're all fear-based. The true, true guidance is always a signpost to the next step of personal growth. What is my next step of personal growth? Ask for guidance there. And it'll show up. It's a beautiful thing. But to be in the conversation and welcome it and embrace it and say, this is my opportunity. This is fantastic. And when your friends say to you, man, you're just, a, you're just a mess. You're all messed up. You say, yeah, but I'm a work in progress. Look at all the room for growth. Isn't that fantastic? It's exciting. Look, I got nowhere to go but up. I mean, isn't that a great thing? It doesn't matter what you've done back there. You can change, you can change it here and now. And that's, that's exciting. It is exciting. I mean, that's life. It's just life. Soul carries the potential, the mind carries the intention, and the brain produces the results. That which we dwell upon, we become. So what are you dwelling upon? Do you have the things in your life? Do you have them before you all the time? Do you have a vision statement that pulls you forward in your life that's exciting? Oh, man, I can't wait till, I can't wait till tomorrow. I'm, I, I'm, this is so exciting. He tells, Deepak tells Gary's story in this, uh, and not, not Gary Buckingham. Is Gary still here? Because Gary's our Gary. We only have one Gary around here. We've got plenty of Brendas around here, I'll tell you that. And, and Karens. And I never know. People always tell me, that I, and I don't know anybody's last name. So, But in Gary's story, it's a great story. And I'll find it here because I want to reference it. He became a seeker later in his career. So if you have the book and you want to read it when you get home, it's on page 118 and 119. He was a seeker. He said, when my, my career suddenly collapsed, and he was diagnosed with a, uh, a heart defect in his early 30s. And so what happened for him, he was on the fast track with all his business buddies, and you know, you have all the goals and all the things that are going on, and all of a sudden he had to have the surgery. And there was complications, and he sort of lost contact with his buddies, the guys that were all fast tracking this same you know, drive and ambition. And that's the nature of it. When you're in your early 20s and early 30s, man, it's your, you, know, you go out, you're the, the warrior consciousness. You want to go out there and you want to make a difference in the world. I saw a wonderful story this morning. I was up early once I realized that I, I wasn't in the, uh, 
a designated zone with the rapture guys, and I had to do a talk. I said, I better get a talk together. But I, was, I, I saw a story real briefly, and it was a young man, he's a chef in Chicago, and he has one of the top, top-rated restaurants in the world. Rated number, in 2007, it's, his name is Grant Ashitz, and Alina is the sixth best restaurant in the world in 2007. And as he was going along, just this young kid, very ambitious, a lot of drive, all of a sudden he developed stage four tongue cancer. Now stage four is, is, is quite advanced. And they said there was a tumor, and it was three quarters of his tongue. And they showed a picture of him, and his face was all swollen up, and they were going to have to remove the tongue. And he wasn't too excited about that, so they tried an experimental modality. And through, through daily... Uh, uh, six months of radiation and daily therapies they were able to bring him through that without having to remove the tongue. And so, but while he was doing it, he kept having to work because employees kept leaving because he freaked everybody out. He was sick and they didn't even want to be around him. So he kept working. And he, here he is, a world-class chef, one of the best in the world. He said for a year and a half, he couldn't taste anything. Couldn't taste a thing. Look at the irony of that. Isn't that something? What a challenge. But he kept working. And it's an amazing restaurant. He now, they take reservations online. If I'm going to Chicago, I'm going to book a reservation at this guy's restaurant. He's had 19,000 people book res- uh, reservations online at his restaurant. And it's $110 for the premium seat. That's going to cost you for this amazing eight-course meal. And it changes every three months. An amazing guy. And they said to him, what did you learn by this? And he said... I learned that it's not, life is not about being the best, but he said it's about contributing the most. Life is not about being the best, but it's about contributing the most. Now here's a young man still in his 20s that had the, the blessing of this wake-up call in his life because that's exactly what it is when this stuff shows up and it alters his awareness and his consciousness. So his soul was speaking to him and he was listening. A journey to higher consciousness and embracing it. Expanding awareness through meditation, contemplation, and other means. Ask for guidance. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the guidance came without having to have some some physical malady that says, wow, stop right where you are and take a look at what you're doing. Simply and sincerely and then wait for it to appear. Trust your finest instincts. And I bet you at some point in time, he did a lot of prayer work around trusting his instincts. Should I let them remove this piece of me or should I move into this other modality. See, because at the end of the day, what really needs to shift and change for any, any change physically for us is the shift in consciousness. And it always shows up in form. The soul carries the potential. The mind carries the intention and the body is where it shows up. The body produces the result. But unless we feed it with the right nutrients of thought, garbage in, garbage out, that's why it's so important what we dwell upon, what we put before us <laughs> habitually. It doesn't matter where we are right now. It could be great, could be fantastic. There's more to it for you to do and more for you to understand. And it doesn't mean it's a responsibility. It's not a burden. It's just the way it works. I was uh, with Len Friesen this week. We were up in, uh, he's, Len's in the U of A right now and they're looking for long-term care and, and Len's been doing, he's been doing the experience of cancer for several years. And Len's, now they're going to put him into long-term care. And so I've been sitting with him and taking notes. And I said, Len, what, I want to know the top dozen things that you want people to know before you leave. And he's been in this teaching for 40 years. 
He's been, and he's been in a lot of wonderful, deep teachings throughout the years and understands a lot. And, and, and Len said to me, you know, he looked at me uh, yesterday morning. I was over there. I spent an hour with him just taking notes and talking and laughing. And he said, I didn't get this for the longest time, but life is easy. Life is easy. And he said, I kept making it hard. I thought, what a gem. Len, keep going, buddy. You know, and it's just, it's, it's so much fun to sit there in the vibrancy of the present moment and, and celebrate, because that's all we have is the moment. And, and, you know, I'm planning on living forever. I've said it many times, but all of us at some point in time, we, we're going we're gonna to graduate. And so, uh, but it's exciting, but life is easy. And when we take the principles and we understand them, we're on a journey here to higher consciousness and to embrace it. That's the higher consciousness of the, rap, the, the rapture. That's where we go. But we don't leave here. It's not a literal interpretation. It's about the shift and change in consciousness. Deepak says God is everywhere present and nowhere in particular. It's, in, it's particular when we decide it's particular. We make the choice. So the soul carries a potential. The mind car- The soul carries a potential. The mind carries the intention and the brain produces the results. And he said, there's steps involved with it. I should probably finish my Gary story, huh? What's this guy? Where's he going? So anyway, he had to go back up Gary. Gary's on the fast track. He had the heart problem. He went in and had surgery. It changed his life. His friends left him because they all thought he changed. And he said, you know what? I did change. This happens. You start getting into this teaching and you start thinking in a new way and you start living in a new way. The people that resonated with you in consciousness... The, it, the relationships are going to change. And it's okay. I still love them. You know, it was the hardest thing in the world for me to call my mother. I was embarrassed to tell my mother that I was a minister in this. Te- she didn't even know I was going to ministerial training because I, I was in California. She's in Minnesota. Finally, one day I said, Mom, I'm a, I'm a minister. As a matter of fact, I have a church. She goes, What? Huh? What have you been doing? Who is this? Where? Reverend Moon? I mean, that's where I was. This will be cool. As long as I don't tell anybody, I know what I'm doing. Because I really like it, but I don't want to have to explain it or defend it. So he, he, so he had a, Gary had a, uh, a challenge. And he said, it took to, so what happened? He went through the surgery. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know where life was going because everything changed for him. And when we talk about guidance, this is what guidance looks like sometimes, gang. He says, I took to wandering around town waiting for something but not knowing what. One day I was getting on a bus and I had the thought, am I doing the right thing with my life? That's a great question. Am I doing the right thing with my life? And the man in front of me, a complete stranger, turned around and said, trust it. He's thinking it. How many times have you been in line somebody gives you the answer? Nothing exchanged verbally. The guy just turned around and said, trust it. And then as if he hadn't said anything, he got on the bus without a word. That moment began a series of strange incidents. I was walking past a kid carrying a boombox, and at that moment I was thinking of going back to my old job. You just, you just graduated from your job. Have you had those thoughts? Anyway, probably not yet. Anyway, But it's, I mean, it's natural when we go through life changes. Bernadette's sitting here, and she just, she just tithes her job back to the universe because she realized that it's not her job anymore. It's somebody else's opportunity. 
What a, what a beautiful way of doing it. Don't quit. Offer it up to somebody else. Because there's great learning for somebody else there. Suddenly, so he's walking by, he's thinking, I'm going back to the old job. Suddenly, when the boombox is going, suddenly the kid turned up the volume and the song that blasted at me was, No, 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 Delilah. (laughs) I laughed, but I wasn't entirely amused. I felt a spooky connection with something beyond me. If there's one mind common to all, and we're always being informed, I'm always, I'm always amazed when people come out, let me tell you what happened to me. Well, what happened to you? I had a guy come in, I thought about this between services, I had a guy come in one day and he says, do you know that I wrote the entire Gospel of John verbatim, and I've never read the Bible? And I didn't know what to say. I just looked at him. And I, I said, well, you're probably going to have some copyright problems with that, but... <laughs> Okay. I once had three big double whoppers in one meal at one time, too. It's just, you know, I mean, we've all got accomplishments in our lives that we can be proud of. I, I didn't know what, to, I really didn't know what to say because, and, and it's quite possible. But it was, I guess it was, it, it, I was, share, they shared that with me to, to impress me. And, and it just, it's fascinating because we're all capable of all kinds of amazing things. <clears throat> He said, Gary said, I laughed, but I wasn't entirely amused. I felt a spooky connection that something was something beyond me. Soon afterwards, I decided to go to a tarot card reader. And when I asked the cards if I should go, to a, go on a spiritual path, I love this. Go on a spiritual path, the best card in the deck came up. It showed ten golden cups with a rainbow overhead and a joyous crowd dancing down below. After a while, it got so I could ask myself a question and turn on the TV, knowing that the next words coming out of the set would answer my question. And Deepak says, and it never failed, I asked. Gary smiled, only when I tried to control it. See, that's one of the keys. When I can't find the keys, remember I told the story about Cole last week and he lost his keys? Well, and it, I didn't share this, but that was his only set, okay? That's why we called the locksmith. I said, Cole, go get your backup set. That is my backup set. Ah, okay. So then we went to got the backup set. But I, I, affirming the, the idea of keys, I'll many times misplace something. Eyeglasses are keys. And I'll say, the whereabouts of my keys are, are made clear to me now, or whatever it may be. It's one of the prayers I'll, I've used over and over and over again. And, but what will happen is if I stand there waiting for the information to show up, it never comes. I just have to get out of the way. I have to say, okay, I made the, I've set the intention, I've released the prayer, and now I'm going to get on with something else. Because I can stand there for three hours and it won't come. And then all of a sudden I'm guided to something. Oh, you know what? I need that. And I'll go look and I'll go, oh, there's my one I was looking for. Never fails. But it's asking simply. It's asking simply and then getting and waiting patiently. And for me, waiting the patiently is to get on with life. Gary smiled. Only when I try to control it, the whole phenomenon has a certain innocence and surprise factor. So most of the time I was caught off guard. If I tried to push things or manipulate the outcome, nothing happened. Did you get deep answers, I asked. He shook his head. Not always, but each one fits the moment. It's very personal, speaking directly to my situation. Your information is your information. Nobody else's. And it's there. But it's, see, it's, it's developing that awareness. It's developing that awareness. Gord's song about potential. Well, how do we tap into the potential? What wants to happen here? What's, that, what's God's idea for my life, for this movement, for this teaching? for whatever's going on in the world. 
you know, to look at it, one of the amazing stories I came across this week in thinking about sharing with you was the uh, Sydney Opera House. You all know, you all have seen the Sydney Opera House in a picture. It looks like sales. There's several of them. A couple years ago, Laura and I were in uh, Australia, and we went to the Sydney Opera House. We we uh, went and saw Dame Edna there, and, and she, he, was hilarious, just amazing. And, but the story of the Sydney Opera House, when you talk about the soul carries the potential, the mind carries the intention, and the brain produces the results, the Sydney Opera House, they, they put out a contract in 1955, a competition, and they asked for designs. They wanted to build this world-class symphony, symphony hall. And so they brought in a fellow by the name of Eros Sevner, and Arrow was the guy that was going to make the decision on, on who to pick, who's designed to pick. So they, they narrowed it down to the final three or four. And he looked at all of them and he said, ah, ah, no. And he said, let me see all the rejects. And they had a stack of rejects. And he went through the rejects, started looking and looking and looking. And he pulled number 281 out. So they had a lot of them because this one was 281. He said, there it is. There it is. That's the new opera house. And so they picked it because they said, you're, it's your choice. You decide. Well, the only problem with it was they didn't have the technology to build it. They didn't have the architectural technology. They didn't know how to do the things they did, but they decided they were going to build it anyway. So what they had, the soul got involved with this and said, this is the potential, this is the possibility. Even though the, the, the powers that be would say, we can't build this, we don't have the technology, they started 10,000 workers. It's 22 stories high. Over 7 billion people a year go to this place now. It's iconic. 67,000 square, 67, square feet of glass. They're the tiles. It's covered with tiles. I've been, when I was there, we walked around the whole thing and went inside. It's beautiful. There's a million fifty-six thousand and six tiles. They were imported from Sweden that covered this place. In 19, they, they, um, they had 10,000 construction workers work on this place. They, just, they thought it was going to take three years. It took 14. They, said it, they had a budget of $7 million dollars. By the time they were done, they spent $102 million building the building. Can you imagine the accountants at some point in time saying, hey, wait, 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 we're over budget. <laughs> they, they finally told the architect, a, a young man by the name of Utsen, and I think he's from Finland or Sweden or one of the uh, Nordic countries, they finally, they finally got rid of him. They said, you got to go. They had a big falling out and he left. And when they finally finished the project, he was too old to come back and actually see it done. He never saw it completed. There's five theaters there, and they're beautiful. It's a world-class facility. Look at the joy. Look at the creativity that's supported. Look at how that has become an iconic symbol for, for Australia. And, it, and it, it's, a, it's a, a center of creativity, a center of beauty, a center of possibility. And it's so easy to get caught up into the, the nuts and bolts of everything. But what's possible? I think of the, the art center downtown. That's beautiful. It's an iconic building. I don't know if you've been there. I've been down there three or four times to see the different uh, um, uh, venues and, and, uh, and galleries that they, they uh, present. But it's beautiful. And it's a world-class building. There's something about, and, and believe me, I, think, I don't think you spend money you don't have, but sometimes you're just called by inspiration. Sometimes the soul gets involved. Says it carries the potential. And the, uh, the soul carries the potential, the mind carries the intention, and the brain produces the results. And it's an example of what happened in Sydney. So Deepak says this, four things to, to keep ourselves involved. He said, become, number one, become genuinely interested. Become genuinely interested. What inspires you? 
What things inspire you in your life? Because if things are inspiring you, you're called forward. There's something that comes alive in you that's larger than your life unto itself. What inspires you? Live a life of inspiration. And which is really, it comes from the the, the core of inspiration. It means to, to, to be in concert with God. Number two, pursuing your interests spontaneously. So pursuing them without agenda. Continuing to pursue the idea and pursue the idea and mull it over and see what's happening. What's alive for me here? What's possible for me? Because anything is possible. But we have to do the work. And the, and the gift in it is not the result. The gift in it is in the shift and change in consciousness. That's the beautiful gift in it. Number two, practicing until you see improvement. I practice with Brian. I don't know where Brian went. I, I, for two weeks now, I've been a lapsed guitar player. Been a little busy with some other things, but we're going to get back into it this week. I have my pick in my pocket to remind me. I did, used to. I know, where, I know where it is. It's in my change holder. But I, had a, I put my guitar pick in my pocket today. Um, one of the great meditation teachers in the world said that once you become a meditator and you stop meditating, you're a lapsed meditator. It doesn't matter whether you meditate in another 12 hours or another 12 years. See, we're all lapsed in something. So don't lose the lapse or the not doing it keep you from going back into it. Yeah, that's the discipline. Practicing until you see improvement. And number four, sticking with your practice until the new skill is mastered. And the same is true of consciousness. That's what Deepak is talking about. Deepak says, one person's insight is another person's message from God. One person's glimpse of inner light is another person's angel. The realm of the soul has room for both. We don't have to separate the lore of the angels from the lore of the soul. They're all higher thoughts. See, angels just represent higher thoughts. Some people see angels. I don't see angels. But I'm interested in the higher thoughts. We do have to break the supernatural spell that religion weaves around obedience, faith, and theological dogma. Under that spell, people lose the ability to find their own inner guidance, which never sleeps and is always at hand. So I'm a big stickler because my teacher was a big stickler on the language of separation. We're never separate. We're never separate. In fact, I use co-creation a lot now. She'd, be, she'd, she'd slap the backs of my hands if she heard me say those words because there's only creation. There's only God. My life God's life, one and the same. And so when we start to use the language of separation, she said we've spent a lifetime and generation and generation and generation of using that language. It's time for us to own our own divinity. And that's why, and, and I bless her and honor her for that. Some of us aren't able to do that. But it's okay, there is no separation. The perception of separation. We have, the soul is here and always available, but we activate it through these principles. I'm on a journey to higher consciousness and I embrace it. You're on a journey to higher consciousness. Embrace it. Say, this is it. I'm in. And then listen, for, ask for the guidance. Activate that awareness through meditation, contemplation, some other means. And then look for the higher truths. Look for the higher truths. When fear, fear comes up, learn, it's, it's a high level of discernment. Am I thinking and moving and making decisions from fear? Or am I grounded in the truth of my being? That's why affirmative prayer is so powerful. That's why at the end of the, each, each uh, gathering, we bring the practitioners and ministers forward so that they, you see these people. Man, I want, I'm drawn to this practitioner so that I, can, that I can dip into this awareness and be supported. Because sometimes it takes another person's consciousness and awareness to move us forward. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a gift to them. It's a gift to us. We don't have to do this, we don't have to do this alone. So it is our opportunity. It is our opportunity each and every Look at the Sydney Opera House. I mean, all it would have taken is, is, is doubt. We activate this with the word. 
And the word is powerful. My buddy Wayne Lee, I had coffee with him this week, and he said, I got an acronym for the word. It's a way of releasing divinity. I said, Wayne, I love that. Can I have that? He goes, yeah, it's yours. Way of releasing divinity. It's also a way of releasing doubt. The word. We activate these principles in our lives through the word. And anything and everything is possible for us because it's all for us. It's all good. It's all God. And so it is.